Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I talk with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. Today, I'm talking with producer and radio show host Angelique Francis and her son Sage about how parents can best support and advocate for their LGBTQIA children. As you'll hear, Angelique has three kids, one of whom is gender nonconforming and another is gay, and she's had a lot of experience with supporting them as they live their truths. Angelique talks with me about her journey as a parent, how she had to reflect on who she was as a person and a mom, and move away from her original expectations of her kids to understand and accept who they really are. Her son Sage talks about his journey to come out to his friends and family and reveals some of the challenges he and his peers face in the process. We had such a rich, deep, and extensive conversation that I decided to release it in two parts so you wouldn't miss any of it. So here's part one, and part two is coming next week. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. I am so happy to have my dear friend Angelique Francis and her son Sage Francis join me today. Angelique is President and Artistic Director of Beloved Entertainment. She has over 30 years of experience in various aspects of entertainment, communications, coaching, and empowerment. She's the creator and host of Living in the Sweet Spot, which is now a radio show that features true stories of thriving, surviving, and growing, as told to her by unapologetically bold overcomers. She has three children, Jay, who's 29, Ariana, who's 28, and Sage, who's here with us today, who's 21. Now, on to Sage. Sage Francis is a senior at Vanderbilt University, majoring in cognitive sciences and minoring in computer science and gender and sexuality studies. He has a passion for social justice and game design. He's held leadership positions in social justice clubs and affinity groups for queer students and students of color. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Angelique and Sage. Oh, thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Definitely. Great. I'm so glad to have both of you here with me today to talk about Parenting with Pride, how parents can best support and advocate for our LGBTQIA plus children. I've had mother-daughters on the show before, but it's the first time I've had a mother-son team. So I'm excited about that. I'm ready to dive into our conversation. So let's get started. Angelique, I want to start with you. I want to start with getting a sense of how you were parented. Tell me where you grew up. Did you have siblings? And tell me, how did your parents express their expectations for you when you were growing up? Wow, that's a big question, Carol. Um, (laughs) My family's from the South, from Georgia. But uh, early on, we came to Los Angeles. So I was predominantly raised in Los Angeles from the age of four. 
And my mother was an educator and my father was a entrepreneurial businessman. And so we came though from a very uh, Christian upbringing. My grandfather was a very well-known pastor in Savannah, Georgia, pastored three churches simultaneously, you know, one in the city, wow. two or three satellites in the country, you know, and so <laughs> he was very well-known and pastored that church for 50 years. And so my entire family has come out of um, you know, we're all kind of PKs, if you will. And I bring that up because obviously this conversation is a conversation that we didn't really talk a lot about, right? Mm-hmm, we talked mm-hmm. about um, education. Right. We talked about loving God. We talked about community, but we didn't talk about gender and sexuality. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just to back up, PK is preacher's kids. Yes, it is. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> those, those of us who know us know, know that's right. who we are. Um, but, but, you know, even early on, I, I did not, even though uh, I went to Catholic schools and all girls schools, I did not really conform to those standards. So Mm -hmm. even as a child, I was, wait a minute, why do I have to go to confession? Why can't I tell God my sins? I got a relationship with him. I can just talk Mm -hmm. to him every day, right? So I Mm -hmm. did not conform early on. So it's no wonder (laughs) that I turned out to be who I turned out to be. So you said your parents talked with you about education and, um, and, oh, were you, did you have siblings? Were you? I did. I have one brother who's older, Mm -hmm. six years older. And did you grow up feeling as if you had to uh, have a certain type of education, act a certain way? I mean, if you were preacher's kids, you probably were, they would have wanted you to act a certain way. (laughs) Is that fair? (laughs) Well, that's totally fair. Uh, My father said, you can't date till you're 21. But you know, that didn't happen. You know, that that didn't didn't fly for long. Um, You know, uh, my mom was a principal of Mm -hmm. schools my entire upbringing. And so she was very busy, to be honest. She was always in a school saving some child or saving some family or teaching a teacher how to be a better teacher, right? So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it was a little hands-off. And so I got to do it kind of my way. Outside of getting a degree and choosing something that you were going to do in your life that was going to make a difference, those were the things that I heard most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's interesting, and you've already said that coming up in a family that was so steeped in religion, but one that you questioned very, from early days, not the religion part, but sort of all the rules and regulations, right. you already, when you were younger, had a perspective of, okay, I know that things are, quote, supposed to be this way, but but why? And maybe they don't have to be this way. So mm-hmm. this explains, I, I want to quote you to you. <laughs> I want to oh. share a quote that I found, a really great quote. <laughs> about children and expectations that you gave in your interview with Cookie Johnson, wife of Magic and mother of EJ, and you were talking with her about EJ. And you said, our children in particular, we always want them to be what we want them to be. We want to give them all the opportunities, but we actually want them to fit into this little neat box. And we want to decide what they want to be, how they should be, what their interests should be. We, we do that as parents. Then you went on to say, it's hard for us as parents to put ourselves aside and not focus on creating little mini-me's that we think are going to be just like us. And when I heard that, that so resonated, and I spent a lot of time in my podcast talking with parents about the need to put ourselves aside. <laughs> and, and that, <laughs> but I'm laughing because one, that you did that kind of research, and two, that that actually does sound just like me, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, Sage, I, is, I, Sage is shaking his head, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> no, it, 
It, it really does. I thought that it was a great way into this conversation because I want to talk to you about how your lived experience have informed this really great quote. So your eldest child, Jay, is non-binary, and they're a data scientist, engineer, and mentor for trans youth, and an advocate for gender equality and gender equity for trans athletes. And your youngest child, Sage, who's with us today, is gay and a champion of queer rights. So they are both really living their truths and advocating for others to do so as well. So tell me, Angelique, did you have to pivot away yourself from any preconceived notions? I mean, you were able to talk about this, understanding that this is what you had to do, but did you personally have to do this? Did I have to pivot or did I have to take a 180 total turnaround <laughs> <laughs> and, and fall into a whole nother world that I had not prepared myself? That would be the truth. <laughs> you, you know, um, I, I do, I have a lot of empathy for people in need. Okay. So that was already there. But I didn't know, and I, and I was talking to Sage earlier today about it, I did not realize what my children were going through as young people. I mm. had no, as much as I knew it was meeting their needs, where they're in the best schools, they're doing all the sports, all the activities. So you're thinking, we're thinking that we're doing all that we can do. But I didn't understand why my oldest child in high school was so depressed and was experiencing social anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand. and. um you know, thinking, okay, you've got two parents who love you, who adore you, who try to give you all that you can. We loving on you. Got great siblings. And I don't think I ever said this to my oldest, but I was thinking, what, what could you have to be depressed about? Mm -hmm. You know, and my kids actually had a nonprofit. And so it's called Kids Powered. So they were into empowering. And so I just thought it was simple. I thought it was a simple formula. Two plus two equals four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this, you know, the equation mm -hmm. is different. And mm -hmm. what's, what's made up in that is so much more than what I thought as a parent. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I have, with Sage's help, with Jay's help, and with Ariana's help, have had to learn some new ways of thinking, some new ways of living and loving. And as compassionate as I thought I was, I was still clueless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's been a learning curve. So Sage, I want to bring you into this conversation and ask you, how did you teach your mom? Were you able to comfortably just talk to your family about your sexuality? Or tell me, how, how did you teach them? Well, first, I think my mom would agree that even as a child, I was very opinionated. Um, and I think that just kind of kept going. Um, and I wasn't very afraid um, over the course of like high schools where it started to speak my mind and um speak for others that don't necessarily have the voice themselves. I didn't realize that I was gay until sophomore year of high school, I believe, which was interesting because I always knew there was something different, but I never felt uh, an attraction to anyone, not men even yet. So for me, it was much more of other people like in school, starting in elementary school, calling me gay and in a pejorative way. Um, so I do remember going back from school crying to my mom. And that was very pivotal for me because it both told me that people do see gay as a bad thing and that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like it was this weird dual purpose because I could tell they were being malicious. They were being mean. And these aren't the people that are deciding what's morally right in that moment. But then later on, when it goes to coming out, I think that my parents 
have always been supportive more or less, but that there were a lot of microaggressions and that kind of like what my mom was saying when it actually came to me and my oldest sibling coming out, like when it came to the queer kids being my parents' kids, it was a little different. Mm -hmm. Um, So right after Mm -hmm. I realized actually that same night, I went downstairs to my mom, the kitchen, and I told her I might be gay. I might be bi. I'm not sure. Um, And first thing she did was give me a hug. But then second thing she did was basically cast doubt because how could I know? I definitely hadn't kissed a boy yet. I hadn't kissed a girl. And because it was so new for me, it was literally that night. I went back into the closet, like to myself too. Um, and that was about the end of sophomore year, I think. Um, and, and so it wasn't that would until... make you about what, 15 or so? Or so, mm-hmm. or so, 15, 16, something like that. And it wasn't until the summer where I came out to a friend uh, that I didn't even know that well, that I was actually able to fully come out to myself. And from there, it was, I wasn't hiding it at all. I didn't care if anyone knew. I posted things on Instagram, reposted stuff about sexuality, gender. And at that point, I'd already been involved in multiple social justice initiatives and clubs at my high school. So it was a pretty surprisingly simple transition for me after I got off that um, first hump. Now, since then, um, there's still been like microaggressions and stuff like that that I've had to deal with, but that's very much so normal. And I think that if you look over the past five or six years, um, that there has been a great change in my parents and my family and how they approach these things. And luckily in the spaces I've been, there's also just been a general good change, at least before I came to Nashville for school. Um, it's a little different than New York, but yeah, yeah. no, I'm, I'm definitely going to get to talk to you about that, (laughs) but let me, let me ask you. So you, you kind of went back in and then did you have a, a, another coming out to your mom? I mean, how did you let them know that, no, you were pretty clear on it as opposed to not that sure, or you were sure, but casting some kind of transition. Right. Yeah. From, yeah. Um, well, I think that. First, something that I've heard other people relate to is that it's easier sometimes to come out to someone that like, you know, but you don't know like that well. So Mm -hmm. I came out to a friend that was kind of a newer friend. That way it wasn't coming out to my parents where there could be big backlash. It wasn't coming out to my best friend even that like I might have been scared I would lose if I came Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just doing that and having a positive response really meant a lot for me. And then in terms of coming out again to my family, I don't think I did so in a very, like, this is this way. I think I just kind of like started living my life. And I did eventually tell my mom. But I know for me, it wasn't the same like fear. It wasn't the same, I don't know, um, worry that I had before, because Mm -hmm. I had the support of my friends, I had the support at school. And I knew she would love me either way. But now I knew people that like immediately took my coming out as like fact as you know we love you we respect you you are in fact gay if that's you know how you feel and it is (laughs) so it wasn't more until we probably just had a conversation about it one day you might know better mom and then after that it wasn't until I was in a therapy session with my mom my sister and during high school I had also been dealing with anxiety and later depression. Um, So that's one thing we were talking about. And my mom pointed out that part of this might be 
caused by me coming out and the new pressures of that. But of course, my sister didn't know yet. So my mom accidentally outed me to my sister during the therapy session. And one reason I bring that up is because my sister and I have always been close. Like she's someone I will definitely confide in. And my mom was really surprised because she assumed my sister knew. Um, but it was the same thing where if my sister didn't accept me, then that would have been crushing. So yeah, let me let me jump in. I I do remember um, all of this. You know, so we all have different perspectives of how things happened, and and I do recall, and I think that it's something that many parents would say to a child who they know have not been sexual. Right. Mm -hmm, You think, mm -hmm. well, how do you know you haven't, you know, you're not really, you're still young. You don't really know. And, and I want to point out and make sure that Sage and I talk about the difference between gender and sexuality, because that is the biggest, I think, confusion for our generation, Carol, um, of understanding the difference. And Sage is going to be so great at explaining that. I knew Sage was a little different than some of the other boys. Like he wasn't on the school bus in seventh grade, um, you know, trying to lift up a girl's skirt. He just wasn't doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the boys even knew that he was not going to participate in disrespecting girls in any way. So Sage has always been an advocate for himself. Which, excuse me for a second, is a good thing. No, <laughs> Independent thank God. of sexuality. <laughs> thank God. Independent thank of that sexuality. That's a good thing, but keep yeah, going. <laughs> that's a really good thing. But I, I remember when Sage was starting to get, you know, some flack from some of the kids in middle school. Sage actually went on the master's school website and literally said, Mom, I want to go to school here. I scheduled a, a tour. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> If anything, you're going to go where your brother and sister go. But obviously, we've made another choice because Sage has always been an advocate for himself. So what is amazing about him is that not only was he an advocate, but in high school, he was the president of a diversity club. And he invited his dad and me uh, to school to, uh, you know, because he he said he was going to participate. So we're assuming, oh, he's going to introduce the guest speaker. He's going to, uh, you know, in uh, start and maybe close the event. Oh, I'm just proud. I'm just going to go support my child, you know, whatever. Sage, were you senior or junior? I believe that was start of senior year. Okay. So it was the beginning of senior year. So Sage... It just turned 17. And we sit there, James comes, you know, from work or whatever, runs in the room, sits down. We're just ready to applaud. And, you know, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we realized that Sage wasn't just introducing the topic for the night, which is the LGBTQ and, you know, having awareness around that. I thought we were going for like a Martin Luther King or Malcolm X diversity. I didn't know we were going for LGBTQ. It didn't matter whatever he was doing. I was coming, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't just introducing the speakers. He was the speaker. (laughs) (laughs) So James and I looked at each other and we were just like, wait, what is going on right now? Like, what what is happening? Because not only was he teaching and um, inviting people to ask questions and to sort of uh, rethink their normal way of thinking. He was pointing out microaggressions. I was blown away by my own child, both as an advocate for others, but also understanding who he was. And then he said, after all of that says, you may not remember this, he said, this is after like a two hour workshop and parents and teachers, it was over a hundred people there. It was amazing. And then he said, 
And I know we've told you all this. We've explained all the terms. We've explained all the different categories. But if they change in two weeks, just love your child. If they adjust and, and want to be called something else or identify differently. And I thought, oh, my God, this is just the beginning. Like, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around all of it. Mm-hmm. And then that was even before the LGBTQ movement really started to assign pronouns that was right around that time mm-hmm. on a more wide scale level. And and then when uh, Jay decided Jay was, they wanted us to use the pronouns them and they, that was a whole nother journey. So we have spent a lot of time in family therapy so we can both understand what our kids need, um, where we messed up, where we mm-hmm. got it right. And to often ask for patience and grace to get it right. And I think that, that's been the hardest thing for me is knowing, you know, I'm the one that's often come and affirm my children. And all of a sudden I'm using a pronoun that makes them feel unloved and unrespected and unheard mm-hmm. and unseen. That's That was heartbreaking for me. We'll be right back after these messages. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome back to the show. Yeah. Oh, there's so much that I want to unpack from what you were talking about. Um, the, the first little quick thing that I will do is I'm so happy to hear both of you talking about therapy because I am a huge fan, advocate, proponent, supporter of families seeking therapy for whatever they need to. And I know in the Black community, there has been, um, I hope it's less now, but there have been some reluctance to engage in that kind of practice. And so every opportunity that I can, and thankfully, on this podcast, I talk to a lot of people who have had therapy, appreciate therapy. So I'm very glad to hear that um, it, it doesn't it, it means that you're just taking the time to try to understand yourself and your family better. It doesn't mean anything more than that. So just a little plug for that. But um, I want to roll all the way back. There's so many, you, you guys have really hit on all the topics I want to talk about. But Sage, I want to swing to you for just a second and roll back to, we've just heard your mom's perception of this event being kind of a light bulb going off, kind of a, a, a new understanding did you know that? Did you have a sense of that when you were, or were you just sort of in the mode of, I am who I am, and I guess everybody should come and hear this? Um, so definitely towards the end of high school, this is where it was, it was like kind of my thing to be like in these clubs. Like I was very much so involved. It was my life. I would stay really late at school going from like diversity ambassadors, but then doing my own clubs with the intersectional feminist group, the queer affinity group, people of color affinity group. like. This was my life and still is um, in some ways, just different because I'm in university, obviously. So for me, I don't know that I expected as much surprise almost. The point of the event actually was to help parents and teachers learn because we had realized recently that there were just so many questions um, and we wanted to support those with questions, not like shame them, not be like, why don't you know this, but actually give an opportunity to use this information to help students, to help their children, and, you know, just to live a better life 
have better relationships, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know that I was expecting as big of a, um, (laughs) response as I, as I did, but my mom has been very much so supportive of this one night. I think it really did change her viewpoint on a few things. And that's really all we could ask for. It was with two other, um, classmates and friends of mine and we were three of the only like out people at my school specifically me and one of the guys um, there were not a lot of gay men out in my high school so part of it is minorities and oppressed groups shouldn't necessarily have to inform other people like i don't think that it's on black people to inform white people Mm -hmm. you know Mm because that's a an emotional labor thing but also that's why it's so important when you do have those people willing to put that energy out there that you do listen. And that's why I was so happy with that event because the three of us that were working on it, we were working on it. And it's not that simple. One of them wasn't out to their parents yet. It was a stressful job to do that. And that's on top of school and stuff like that. And you're talking to adults. Mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. like 14, 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. like between mm-hmm. those ages So I don't know, it was a rewarding experience to see people actually take the information to engage with the workshops. The most interesting part was actually the Q&A at the end. And that's really what showed like people were listening and um, people were trying to actively learn. I mean, literally, Sage had a line of parents and instructors waiting to speak with him after and to get his email so they could ask other questions along the (laughs) line. So it it was it was a, a moment of I was so proud to know that my child wasn't just an advocate for themselves, but that they were an advocate for others. And what I realized, and again, this goes to your audience, Carol, I realized that Sage had done research, okay? It wasn't just a feeling that Sage had. Because this is an age of information and on, you know, you can find anything you want on the internet, he understood way more than I could have ever taught him, or even he could have learned just on an instructional level in a class, you know, whatever, a gender studies class. Sage had such an understanding because he spent hours and hours and hours of educating himself. So I thought the least I can do is spend hours and hours trying to figure this out, trying to go to therapy, trying to understand how to be a better ally and better advocate. And, um, you know, it's it's been a little spicy, you know, with the whole church thing, because even my relationship with church has changed, both because of the Black Lives Matter, but also as a result of this, because my Bible and my teaching was that God said, love one another as yourself mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. love God. And so those mm-hmm. were the only two commandments in the church that should matter. So oftentimes when I talk to Christian groups, I say that, and then what else can you say after that? There's, there's, there isn't really no debate. And so, you know, I, I think I am still growing, still evolving. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard from gay friends who had a very strong relationship with the church that they have had to rethink it. And if there's been a spectrum of people who've had to walk away and, I mean, who have been devastated by that loss in their life because mm-hmm. they feel as you do, but the structure of it, they couldn't find a home that, that made them feel good. And then mm-hmm. others who have found church homes where they are understood and, and they're loved. So yeah, that is a a journey that I know can be tough to walk. Now, I so appreciate the two of you coming on and talking to me about this. And Sage, since I understand you've already, you have been in this situation many times that is 
answering questions for people. So I hope you won't mind that throughout this podcast, I'll be asking you these questions that are probably eye rolling to most people, but you've got, you've got an audience of people who uh, includes people who aren't as familiar with so much terminology. And, and so I do appreciate from that story that you stand ready to be the patient <laughs> instructor. So I want to ask both of you the, the same kind of question. And Sage, I think I'll start with you. So you've described a circumstance where apart from the first little blip on the coming out scale in the sense that you sort of came out and then went back in. But ultimately, when you came out fully and, and you felt very confident in that, your family embraced you. You, you went, you, I'm, I'm sure that it was not a bumpless road, but you were very comforted by the fact that you didn't, well, I'm, I'm making a presumption here, but you didn't lose good friends. You didn't lose the things that you were the most afraid of didn't happen. I mean, I'm, I'm, is that a fair statement or? Um, fair based on what I told you, but I definitely did lose, uh, friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, some of my like oldest friends, we kind of grew apart, I would say, I guess, conveniently when I came out. Some people that I play video games with, um, like stopped talking to me or stopped responding to me. But in terms of my friends at school, that wasn't really something I experienced as much. Uh, especially because I was able to, they weren't really out at the time, but I was able to gravitate towards a queer friend group, mm -hmm. at least partly. And I think you just kind of find your people that way. And it, it's sad because, you know, no one wants to lose some of their best friends. Mm -hmm. But um, at the end, something that I will always find really important, and I think a lot of queer people do, is found family. Mm -hmm. I love my family, but also found family is really important because you don't choose your family, you choose your found family. Mm -hmm. Like, and your family isn't always going to respect you, love you for who you are, even though they should. So you can find the people that do and you can find people that relate, you could find people that don't relate, but are great allies and will listen and uplift you. So yeah, it, it definitely wasn't bumpless. Um, and I think even with my family, there were strains in our relationship with some more than others. But I feel extremely lucky with my coming out. Extremely. I did not, like, grab one end of the spectrum, get kicked out by my parents or disowned. But I also wasn't, like, bullied nonstop in high school. or mm. And I was able to actually be very much so proud and out at my school, like, giving talks on this type of stuff when um, other places, other schools wouldn't be as accepting or give you that time or space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Angelique, I know that you want to come in here, but I just have one more question for Sage. What would you say to your friends or to, to anyone? How would you counsel people who either are afraid that they won't have the experience that you had or are having a bad experience <laughs> in that their, their, their yeah. fears were realized? I mean, what do you say to people that where it's not so easy? Is that part of the found family concept? It definitely is. And honestly, on some level, it's a hard question when I'm glad you asked, but it's a hard question because one, obviously there isn't like a, a great answer. Um, and it really just depends on your environment. I will say this with some hesitance, but everyone should be able to come out if they, if they want, not everyone needs to ever, but everyone should be able to come out. They should be able to express themselves. They should be able to live their lives in safety. But there are times where it's like, you have to weigh the safety 
if you live in an environment in a family or something like that where coming out might cause you harm mm -hmm. physical mental emotional you have to weigh that um against you know if keeping your true self is also hurting you in the same or more yeah so it's it's always a a series of political negotiations is how i would um describe it mm. wow. but in terms of finding those communities i think that online is a great way to do that it's hard because especially if you're young be careful going online um especially i don't know with people that you don't know but at the same time um things from twitter to instagram to tumblr to like fandoms online i think that that's one place you could definitely find your family wow that that's great that was so well said angelique let me just ask you this just to follow sure. up on that just tragic to hear that someone could actually say I can't tell my parent because of the fear of the reaction. Angelique, that sort of, that dovetails into the question for, for families that aren't, for a myriad of reasons, for whatever reason, aren't as easily able to just dive into the love they have for their child and they're, they're unable to be as accepting as we would all want them to be. I mean, what would you say to people to sort of help them? let go of the expectations and what should they be sure to do or not to do to make sure their child is not negatively impacted? One, you just got to love them. And that's, mm -hmm. number, that's number one. If you love your child, you know, I, I have to bring up and what I was going to bring forward was just this, the reality of the depression and the anxiety and the mental health issues that arise because our children don't feel seen and heard and respected and, and that they can be their authentic self. Right. And in our particular family, you know, one of my kids had some social anxiety, one that deals with depression. And it's, let me just give you a statistic. Cause this, this is what you, you have, all I can tell you is you have to love and accept them. But when you look at some of these statistics, like 45% of LGBTQ youth, consider suicide in the last year. That's mm. current. More than half of non-binary kids have considered it. And one out of five non-binary children have attempted suicide in the last two years. So any loving parent, any caring parent, I think we all, you know, that's the, our greatest fears, right? That something could harm our child or self-harm or, you know, that our child would not live a healthy, wonderful, loving life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you look at 73% of LGBTQ youth experience either depression, anxiety, or both. 73%. How about this? 40% of LGBTQ youth within the juvenile detention system 40% of them are LGBTQ identified. Mm. That means they're being abused. They're getting into fights. They're, they're in a situations that no loving parent wants their child to be in. Mm -hmm. LGBTQ youth are more likely to become homeless mm. because they're running away from home or their parents are putting them out or they don't feel safe in the home. And then how about one more? One third of the LGBTQ youth that were polled and asked to participate in this, one third of them said they had to explain to their doctors and their therapists about what it meant to be LGBTQ. Huh. So the parents don't know, the therapists don't know, and the physicians don't know. 
Wow. This makes me just go right back to your quote that I opened with about how parents have to put ourselves aside and not think about ourselves, how we are reacting. Just think about our children. All those statistics, those heartbreaking statistics. Every one of them. (laughs) If if you could get through to a parent who's having trouble coping with with the different life that their child is presenting to them than the one they imagine, which is really all that it is. It's sort of just, it's an adjustment. <laughs> it's right? right. It's an adjustment to yeah. thinking about things differently. And, yeah. and if I'm going to be honest, there's also, there can be fear involved in it as well for your child, because we know other statistics about, you know, bullying and, and being targeted. And so there's some fear in there. But it also is just sort of, you know, we all kind of gravitate to what we know, I mean, parenting-wise or life-wise. And so if there's something that our child wants to do that we're not familiar with, there's there there can be a reluctance. But when you hear those statistics, you just have to put yourself aside. And that that is that's one of the, I'm really glad that you guys are on today because I that's one of the things I talk about all the time in this podcast that <laughs> we really have to look at our children as not sort of they're from us, but they're not. <laughs> they are their own persons, their own people. And the, the other part of this, though, is that you, I think both of you had said this, but Angelique, the patience and the grace, mm-hmm. because I mean, this isn't easy for anyone. Sage, it couldn't have been easy just sort of figuring out that you knew the life that you knew was going to be a life that was going to have to speak up for yourself a lot more perhaps than you might have been inclined to generally. And and from a parenting perspective, you're sort of like, okay, I have to pivot. Pivoting isn't always easy. I hope you've enjoyed part one of our two-part conversation with Angelique and Sage Francis. It continues next week when we'll talk about the distinction between gender and sexuality, have a conversation around pronoun choice, a topic that can get a little stressful for some of us, and more. Here's a little taste of what's coming next week. I realize if I don't know someone now, I'm hesitant to assign a pronoun to them because I don't know what pronoun they would want. So I get that. But it's the the opposite of the patience and the grace, the sort of impatience and intolerance that one can be met with if you don't get on board as quickly as, as you need to. And I think that part of the angry response to pronouns, though you may have experienced it yourself, is kind of um, overblown um, and creates like a picture of like a blue haired dyed liberal that's angry if anyone doesn't assume the right pronouns. Like I don't think that really is representative of the real world, but I will say a couple things about it. Because this is really beyond a pronoun or a name calling or a category. And why does everybody have to fit in some neat box so that all of us feel comfortable so we can walk in a room and say, oh, they're in that box, they're in that box. It, that's not life. That's not who we are. That's not humane even. So please join us. As always, I'd love for you to please subscribe, rate, and review Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis wherever you find your podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.